1: Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just eight ninety seven at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.
2: When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you.
3: She'll make you breakfast She'll make you toast But she don't use butter She don't use cheese She don't use jelly
4: about to reveal my biggest beauty secret ever. That was Tyra Banks, my friends. When you have a product that's been around for over 100 years, that almost everyone has at home, and when your brand is so well known that it makes it into songs and movies, you can rest assured it's here to stay. But If the late 1800s had been like our modern, fail-fast, pivot-or-die culture, Vaseline might never exist. This is Bizography, the show where we dive into the strange but true stories of iconic companies. Whether they're a household name, the butt of jokes, or sliding into history, they all have a past worth knowing. See what I did there? I'm Dana Barrett. I'm a former tech executive, an entrepreneur, and a TV and radio host, and over the course of my career, I've interviewed thousands of business leaders and reported on the bright beginnings and massive flameouts of the brands we know and love. Some of their stories are inspiring, some get my blood boiling, and some are just plain weird. Today, our story is one of pivots, perseverance, and punchlines. And hanging out with me today, as always, is new guy Nick. Can we, Nick, get the punchlines and the dirty jokes and the giggling out early? Well, what are you you talking about? What do you
1: mean with Vaseline? What punchlines I'm just
4: saying, uh, I know there's going to be a lot of snickering. When we were pitching the story idea, there was a lot of snickering.
1: There's been a lot of snickering already before we've even got into the show. So,
4: yeah, you're right. Okay. So probably we can't get it out of the way early. (laughs) Let's just admit it. Vaseline has a lot of uses, including some in the bedroom. There. Are we done? Are we good? Uh, uh, uh,
1: No. (laughs) We're
4: not. We're not done.
1: (laughs) No, yeah, we're good because uh, FYI, it's probably not the best to use in a... the bedroom but okay fine what wait do you, hold what on a second about? did you
4: actually google that
1: yeah i did actually look that up now you know uh, that
4: all of the, the ads that follow you around from here on out are going to be
1: <laughs> quite troublesome. questionable quite yeah. questionable no you're absolutely right my only question is all right so vaseline you're right it's, it's
4: a little you know yeah. what, <laughs> what, why did you why did you want to bring this up Well, here's the thing. It is a good question. But, you know, when we started thinking about doing different companies for bizography, I started looking around the house at the various brands that exist. And I thought, let me figure out what's going on with this. We've had this in the house since I was a kid. I remember it, you know, when I had baby sisters, we had Vaseline on the diaper changing table. And I still have it, you know, for lip protection, settle down. And you know, I did some research, and this is a story. The story of Vaseline is a story of perseverance, the likes of which we rarely see anymore. And I think that's a story worth telling. So the story starts with the inventor of Vaseline. His name was Robert Chesabrew, which, not going to lie, when I first read it, I thought was Robert Cheesebrew. <laughs> um, <laughs> See, I told you there was going to be a lot of giggling, but his name is actually Robert Chesabrew, and hes he was a British guy, so it was Chesabrew. He was born in London back in 1837, and I don't know much about his super early years, but he moved to Brooklyn, New York, pretty early on, and he became a purveyor of illumination oil or lamp oil, as we would call it, and a bit of a chemist at the time because you had to do that to make the oils to sell for the various kinds of lamps. Primarily, kerosene was, of course, the lamp lighting fluid of the day. And there was a lot of competition in that business. And that was an era in history in general where I think there was, you know, there were a lot of young men that were looking around for ways to make it big, to get
1: rich. Absolutely. You're trying to find that next big opportunity. And yeah, it was the kind of the beginning a little bit in the early 1800s of that, what we now kind of view as like the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, I way. mean,
4: yes, I think that's true. And it's like hard to maybe imagine now for you millennials especially because now it's all about work-life balance, right? Well, you say that
1: with such disdain. but I know. no, You're right. Yeah, it's, we, 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 we want to balance everything. And back then it was find what you can get into that will – set your career off in a a whole new way.
4: Right, and there's also, I think this, you know, this entire story of Vaseline is so easy to sort of compare and contrast to what's happening now. And while, yes, I'm joking a little bit about millennials wanting work-life balance because there's certainly a a very intense startup culture now, but I think one of the big differences now is there's also a lot of venture capital money, and so people may not realize that when they get into business now, they still are going to have to struggle. I think then they knew the struggle was going to be real and that You know, maybe they would find somebody to invest in their business, but it wasn't as free-flowing the cash, I think, as it was back then. In any case, our hero, Robert Chesabrew was one of those guys. He was looking for some way to make more money. And then a news story happened. It was 1859, and the first ever oil well in America was drilled. Fun fact, I thought oil in America was all about Texas. Turns out the first oil well was not in Texas. It was actually in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Who knew? Does anyone go to Titusville, Pennsylvania anymore? I don't even know what's there. I just always thought I pictured the TV set of Dallas, and I just assumed it was all Texas, but that's just me. In any case, it was Titusville, Pennsylvania. That's where the oil rush began. People heard about this oil well, and they started flocking to Titusville, Pennsylvania to see if they could make it big in oil. And Robert Chesabrew was one of those guys. He spent his life savings to leave Brooklyn and go to Titusville, Pennsylvania to see if he could make his fortune. And he was there for a little while and this was not like a one-day trip. I mean, he spent some time in Titusville. And he figured out, I think, pretty quickly that he was one of many. There was a lot of competition and it wasn't going to be that easy to, you know, make his fortune in oil. He did not he couldn't, you know, create his own oil well. He didn't have the funds for that. So he was looking around trying to figure out what he could do. And he I think had one of those modern kind of inventor brains and that he was able to see things that other people didn't necessarily see. So he pretty quickly realized he would have to find a better idea, a better way to, to strike it rich, if you will.
3: Hey guys, I just had a thought. Okay, so this is it, right? A lot of successful startups launched with a different business model. And when they ran into trouble, they pivoted to something new. Don't lose faith, guys, right? Look at me, look at me, look at me. We've got a great name. We've got a great team, we've got a great logo, and we've got a great name. Now we just need an idea. Let's pivot.
4: Let's pivot. Let's pivot. That, of course, is from Silicon Valley, the beloved current TV show. And while he didn't have a great name and a great brand, not at that point, he did know he needed to pivot from trying to become an oil baron to something else. So just like our heroes in Silicon Valley, it was time for our old-timey hero, Robert Chessebrew, to pivot. Luckily, he, Robert, was only 22 at the time, and he was a bit of a risk taker and an outside of the box thinker. So while he was touring around on the oil fields, he happened to notice this rigger, a guy who worked there, scraping this like thick, dark, blackish goo from the oil pump. I, I feel like this is a dirty joke. From the oil pumps, he's scraping goo from the oil pump's joint. It's a little dirty. Anyway, he asked about it. And apparently, this gunk, which was called rod wax, tended to come up with the crude oil and just collect on the rigging. And if they didn't clean it off periodically, it would just totally gum up the works. So it was basically, you know, a byproduct that was worthless, that was coming up off the oil rigs. And, you know, he'd been hanging around for a while, and he started hearing from some of the riggers that they would use this smelly, nasty, black gunk um, to heal their wounds. And that's when he got the magical idea. It was only he It was only needed. So he asked if he could take some of this byproduct, this trash, this goo, and that's how the whole thing started. Except here's the thing. It was not anything like what modern Vaseline, modern petroleum jelly is today. It was stinky. It was black. It was gross. And it was not something he was going to be able to sell easily, certainly not to the housewives of America in the late 1800s. So this was a guy who literally saw something that nobody else even looked at and thought, I could do something with this.
1: And it's really interesting that he saw that. And you know that, like you said, in the inventor brain, you always try to think of maybe the the source of where your stuff's going to come from. How genius to go, hey, this is something they're literally just tossing to the side. There's zero cost right. for getting this product. Genius. No investment up front. It's nothing but profit after that.
4: Right. But and if these guys on the oil fields are willing to use it to to heal their wounds and it must work, now how can I make it work and get people to buy it? And the thing that this always makes me think about is how many people have brains like that even today. I think there's a fairly small percentage of people who can see an opportunity where, you know, nobody else sees anything, you know. I mean, do you feel like you think like that?
1: No, I don't think most people do. You see something that's like that, that's waste. How many of us, if you were, especially back then, but even now, if you're walking past something in this black, gooey, tar junk and it stinks and, ugh, get that away from me. That's that's useless. That's junk. Throw it in the trash. I'm done with it.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, there are clearly other products in the world that come from nothing where someone just thought, like, this is going to waste. I can do something with it. And, you know, the first example of that that came to my mind when I was thinking about this story is Duncan Munchkins. <laughs> I mean, right? It's like the donut hole. They're stamping the donuts. They got this extra dough. And they're like, we could do something with that.
1: Absolutely. And it's genius. How many people do you know prefer the donut holes over the actual donuts themselves? Right.
4: Brilliant. I mean, let's put it this way. We are seeing potentially the end of the era of natural uh, oils, of fossil fuels being used. But petroleum jelly and Vaseline will live on forever, my friends, just like the donut holes, you know? But I do think it's really rare for people to see that because even – if you think about the donut hole example, why are all of the jokes just – I feel like the, it's all dirty. Um, but, you know, you stamp the donut and you think, well, the shape isn't good for anything and all this excess dough, what are we going to do with it? You could make more donuts, but then you still have waste every single time. Right.
1: Eventually you, gets, you don't have enough dough left to do anything to make it Live. Right.
4: But somebody got creative. They thought of a way and here we are and now they created a whole other product line, you know.
1: That ends up being more popular in a way
4: than yeah. the original
1: product was intended to be. Yeah, That's and also, as far part.
4: as I am I understand, the donut holes don't have any calories because, you know.
1: <laughs> They're so small,
4: right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just what I've heard. I don't know if it's true. In any case, it was genius. They were throwing this goo away, this rod wax away. It's kind of like in the Grinch movie. Remember this part?
3: Max, grab a bag. Welcome back to the rest. It's amazing what these goos just throw away. Oh, well.
0: One man's
1: toxic sludge is another man's potpourri. So are you suggesting that Chesa was kind of a Grinch? He was mean and he was like, yeah, whatever. I'll make something out of this. Well, I
4: don't know if he was really a Grinch, but he was odd and he was persistent. We'll get into that next.
0: Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
2: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
3: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this.
4: So after his tour of the oil fields, Chesabrew Brew asks if he can have some of that rod wax. And he takes it back to Brooklyn to the lab that he had been using to make his oil lamp. And he starts trying to figure out how to make this black gunk clear and odorless. It takes him, wait for it, 10 years, 10 years of experimenting. I don't think I, I have the patience of like a gnat by comparison. I can't do anything for more than a year or two. And I get bored.
1: I mean, especially with something where you're sitting in a lab dealing with gunky junk and trying to clarify. Yeah, I'm surprised it. I'm surprised he gave it ten months.
4: Yeah, but he kept on trying and failing and trying and failing, and the stuff was free, so I guess he just got more when he needed it. Uh, and it's not until ten years later that that trip to the oil fields. Uh, was when he, again, he was like 22 when this all started. It was 1859 when he brought the stuff home. It wasn't until 1869 that he officially discovers the secret and makes the clear, odorless Vaseline that we now know. So by comparison, the Sistine Chapel, four years. That's it. Yeah. We think of that as the thing that took forever. (laughs) Apparently Vaseline is more of a masterpiece than the Sistine Chapel. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. The pyramids, 20 years, but they're a little bigger. Just a little bit. In fairness. (laughs) And they took more people. And I don't know if they count because there was a whole, like, slave labor thing going on there. That's for another show. In any case, clearly our Silicon Valley guys would have pivoted after, like, a few months at most. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely. But there were some other things, too, that did take some time. For example, WD-40. Do you know why it's called WD-40? I do not. Because it was the 40th concoction they had made. And it took them about six months to try each one. So it was almost a 20-year experiment for WD-40. Another one, too, bubble wrap, was actually introduced in the early 60s as – take a guess.
4: It was invented as something else? Yeah.
1: It was initially – Insulation. Very close. That was its second use. The first one, textured wallpaper. Oh. Needless to say. Now now that I think about it, a house with bubble wrap would
4: be pretty cool. I was about to say, (laughs) I think I see my next redecoration plan (laughs) happening right there. And fun fact – a recent episode of Dr. Hill had uh, exploding bubble wrap, oh, just saying. awesome.
1: But right. Then it was house insulation and it all failed. And somebody at IBM happened to have some laying around and they were shipping a computer. They ran out of like the packaging foam. They tossed it in there, wrapped it up in that because they figured, oh, eh, there's enough padding. We'll just put a lot on it. And bubble wrap as we know it for packaging was formed. And it took about, you know, from 1960 to IBM. It's quite some time. Mm. Very interesting to know.
4: Yeah, I wonder if they were as kooky as Robert (laughs) Chesabro. Just wondering. But yeah, who knew? I didn't know Bubble Rep had that. Maybe there'll be a future episode of Bizography. In any case, very amazing ability, in all those cases, really, to stick to it. Once again, not something I think a lot of people can do. But I do think it's lost in modern times, that stick-to-itiveness, perseverance. I feel like if more people had that, there'd be more success. Don't you?
1: Absolutely. I think so many people, even if it's not an entrepreneurial venture, even if it's just something you're like a project around the house or just a job in general, after like a year, year and a half, most people are like, oh, this isn't working. It's time to move on.
4: Right. And I I think certainly even just for like not necessarily just for inventions, but for careers, for, you know, people start something and a year to your point into it, they're sort of like, well, if it hasn't worked this far, it's not going to work. WD-40, 10 years to make Vaseline. If you just stick to it and keep trying. I think it's all about really believing in what you're doing. Right. And yourself, maybe, your own ability. And maybe some of that's gotten lost well, over I time. I think a
1: little bit of it, too. Let's be fair. We've we've learned about Chesabrew, And if you look, we're going to do some more, I'm sure, research into these other companies. I think some of that stick-to-itiveness we've heard before, there's a little bit of crazy genius. I think some of it's that, too. He was so determined that he knew these rigors told me it's going to heal wounds. He
4: believed it. He fully, <laughs> fully believed it. So you figure he takes 10 years to develop the product. The rest is history, right? No, not even close. And that is sort of almost when the perseverance started. So he gets this product. He makes it. He packages it up, and he takes it out to the pharmacies. And he explains to the, you know, the pharmacists how it's going to cure all kinds of ills. And they all look at him like he is, in fact, crazy. And they buy none. They buy none. But this is a guy who spent 10 years making this stuff. So he is not giving up. He is going to figure out another way. So he takes to the road. He literally starts giving roadside demonstrations to convince the average Joe passerby to try it. He's going after housewives. He's going after doctors. He's just got a cart and he's on the road with his invention. And this is, you know, not actually going well either. So that's when it gets even weirder. Not going to lie. It gets weirder and more innovative and weirder. He decides that the only way he can convince these roadside audiences that this stuff works is by self-mutilation. Whoa! Yeah, self-mutilation. He starts cutting himself, burning himself, stabbing himself, and pouring acid on himself and then curing himself with Vaseline.
1: Definitely a little bit of crazy ingenious.
4: Yeah. That, in my opinion, might be taking it a tad bit too far. Like, if my daughter came to me and said, I have a great idea, Mom, I invented this stuff, and to prove to people it works, I'm going to pour acid on myself, I would take her to a facility. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) But in any case, he literally did that. And he, in part, as, you know, to prove that, gave it to these folks for free. Said, here's a free sample take it try it at home see if you like it that was also not something that was ever done at the time now you hear about that now and you immediately picture i don't know the guy at the food court with the free chicken yes you know i mean free there's free samples of everything now but at the time nobody gave free samples that was not done so Chesabrew was innovating with the idea of free samples he was innovating with an early form of the infomercial out there demonstrating his product. And that is when the magic finally happened. It again took some time, but people took the samples, they took it home, and they liked it. So then what do they do? They go back to the local pharmacies to get more, and the pharmacies don't have any. Bam. Uh-oh. They start calling Chesabrew and placing their orders. And now the rest is history.
1: So is there a little bit of like maybe an Elon Musk analogy hidden uh, in this? I
4: mean, I think there is. I mean, certainly Elon Musk is not exactly stabbing himself and pouring acid on himself though he certainly has been doing some damage to his reputation of late. And I think it's part of the same thing. He's like a frustrated, like, crazy, mad scientist genius who is creating things, and people are sort of poo-pooing him. And he's frustrated by that, but he's determined, and he knows what he's doing is going to work, and he's sticking to it. He's going to, you know, bore tunnels and create spaceships and cars that run without fuel and all this kind of crazy, air quotes, crazy stuff— And he's going to have to be a little crazy to make it happen. But there's a
1: distinct difference there, though, that Elon Musk, like you said, he's doing crazy stuff like boring tunnels and going to space and all the... But that's a lot of different things, right? Chesabrew made
4: one thing. Yeah, he was very single-minded. So now he's got this one great product that people are buying. Lots of people did that all through time. We have people who created a product and then nothing happened. So how did that product that, you know, really has no competitors to this day and that has stood the test of time, how did that happen out of this one product sold on the side of the road? Well, I think that's an answer we'll get to in just a minute.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
2: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire, part time or full time. You name the position So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.
4: <laughs> oh, the new guy, Nick Bob kills me every time. Every time. So Robert Chesabrew had this one amazing product that launched amazing commercials like that. I think that one was, like, from the 70s? Yeah. Okay, (laughs) amazing. Anyway, he made a lot of smart moves in the early years, and they were moves that not everybody was doing or, or even would trust to do, I think, in those days. Some were things everyone did, and others were just new and different. For example, something he did that lots of people were doing, he patented his product. So he patented the product, and he patented the name. That happened in 1872, that stopped, of course, people from imitating exactly what he did. They couldn't use his formula, even if they could, you know, uh, backwards engineer it and figure out what it was. And, of course, they couldn't use his name. And, in fact, he was one of the early people who went out and protected his name. There were later a few people who tried to use similar names, like Denaline, I think, was one of them. Suit him. Yeah. Bye-bye, Denaline. So, patenting, certainly a lot of people do that. But he also partnered with people. He was really smart early on about creating some good partnerships. When he incorporated Chesapeake Manufacturing, he let Standard Oil Trust become the biggest shareholder. That was back in 1881. So you would think like Standard Oil, they're selling oil and gas to heat people's homes and for uses like that, why would they want to be part of this medicinal product, essentially? Well, it was good for them because now they owned part of a company that, first of all, had some patents they thought they might be able to use for other things, but also because they were selling a byproduct that was essentially garbage and making money on both sides of the equation. So it was brilliant for Standard Oil, and, of course, it was good for Chesapeake because it gave him this reliable ongoing source of the raw product, the raw materials, and a little bit of protection from competitors because Standard Oil is going to give it to him, not a competitor. So that was sort of early, early genius on his part. And I think that brings me to this other modern business philosophy that Chesabrew basically ignored. So he's ignored really the fail fast and the constant pivoting of modern times, but he also ignored that theme, niches make riches. Have you ever heard that?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it was like an inch wide and a mile deep is kind of a phrase behind it, right? Oh, look at
4: you. Uh, Yeah. So this whole idea now that, you know, when you go to pitch your idea to a venture capitalist or something, they're like, Tell me your market. Who else is in that market? Why will your version of this work? Well, he sort of ignored that. Even though he only had one product, he didn't advertise Vaseline as being good for healing acid burns. He advertised Vaseline as being good for literally everything, which is why we now land in the world of dirty jokes. <laughs> but, I mean, literally, it was for oh God, everything I am about to say sounds dirty. It's going to say greasing your saddle. But literally, it was for every kind of household use you could think of. It was for babies. It was for, uh, you know, cosmetic uses, for hair tonic. You name it, you could use Vaseline for it. And he also repackaged it in a bunch of different ways. That was kind of smart. So it was the same product, but he put it in different shaped jars and slightly changed the name to use it for hair tonic and household use and all of those things. I'm really trying hard to stay away from the dirty jokes right now. And the other thing is, despite the total lack of any actual medical value, it's never been proven that it actually does anything good for you. But he, by the way, believed that till his dying day. He managed to get the medical profession at the time on board. When he was doing the free samples, he didn't only give them to housewives, he gave them to doctors and he got doctors to buy into it. I think they thought at the time that maybe it kept germs away from wounds which was right. good enough. I'm not sure that it really does. I almost feel like it might be a germ magnet.
1: At least in the 1800s, early 1900s, that was probably much better than most of the over-the-counter things you could buy because that was when they were selling, like, snake oil, crazy stuff Fair like point.
4: that. Fair point. Fair point. Was snake oil actually snake oil?
1: <sighs> it was It was a joke. It never really did anything. Oh,
4: That's right. the whole thing. That's a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode.
1: episode. All right.
4: The other other thing he did uh, was branch out both geographically and from a product standpoint. So he quickly had this product up and running and had factories producing Vaseline in France, in England, in Germany, in Italy. In 1886, he added new products by sort of making slightly different formulas. He had Luxor oil. He had all kinds of medicinal, I'll air quote that, products, including white Vaseline he put camphorated, it was like that smelly camphorated oil version of Vaseline. They, call, they, they said it was for rheumatism. I don't think it really did anything, but they had all kinds of medical versions. They had the sort of toiletry version, uh, pomade Vaseline for hair, Vaseline oil, which was perfumed. They put smell back into it, ostensibly a good smell, but who knows. Vaseline cold cream. They had something called Vaseline Cosmétique. Which is interesting because nobody really knows 100% for sure what it was now. It's kind of been lost to history. But people are thinking it might have been the first hair color, like the first hair dye. Because at the time, when women, I don't think really men dyed their hair at the time, but when women started trying to get rid of their gray, they used water-based products that would would come off. If they sweat or if it rained, they'd have brown stuff dripping down their faces. This was the first oil-based, we think, hair color. Cosmetic, So it was oil with brown whatever mixed into it, so it it didn't come off in the rain.
1: And that is genius, to use the same base product
4: all the way across the board. Right. That's what he did. Then there was also the household versions. He had a product called Filtrine, which was a sewing machine oil. He had anti-corrosive paste, axle paste, etc., etc. So all kinds of things that could be used around the house, on the farm, etc. One last all-important set of smart moves for Robert Chesabrew was the ability to use these strategic partnerships. We already talked about Standard Oil. He recognized that early on. But he also, in 1894, reached an agreement with Colgate and Company to distribute Vaseline nationwide in the United States. So rather than building out his whole own distribution network, he made an early partnership to make that happen. And that partnership actually lasted a really long time. As did the partnership with uh, Standard Oil. It actually lasted until Standard Oil broke up. And that was, you know, 20 years or so, I think, of a partnership or maybe a little bit more. Anyway, in the first half of the 1900s, Vaseline and all of its products were staples around the world. So by the time they merged with Ponds, which was another face cream company, in 1955 to become Chesa Pons, they were huge. The two companies, their branded products were sold in 125 countries and manufactured locally in 35 of those countries, which for the time was pretty phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. That's one of the first kind of worldwide brands, if you think about it that
4: way. Right. And it was really genius in a way to be making the product where they needed it. There are companies struggling with that now. I mean, think about what's going on with trade in this country or, and in the world really right now about car manufacturers being closer to where they're trying to deliver cars. Well, they were doing this, you know, with Vaseline back in the early 1900s. So, again, just sort of this for thinking, brilliant sort of way of doing business. And he was not a businessman. He learned all of this stuff on the go, which I think is also kind of fascinating.
1: It's also really cool to think about the fact that he wasn't necessarily scared to team up and maybe let someone else have a little tiny part of what he was doing for the overall greater success of the company. He wasn't greedy with it.
4: right? I think there's a a tendency even now um, to want to hold on to ownership. You know, you see people saying, I don't want to give up more than 50% or I need to hold on. And in a way, sort of giving up more and partnering could be the way to last forever, right? As opposed to holding on so tight that you lose the whole thing. So during those golden years uh, with Chessa Brew Ponds, you know, that's, he, by this point, Chessa Brew himself was getting old. He passed away sort of before anything went wrong. The company was always good for Chessa Brew personally. He passed away, wait for it, at 96 years old, which was unheard of. In those days. Think about that. I mean, that's old for now.
1: Absolutely.
4: (laughs) And though the product was not ever proven to have any medical benefits, sometime before he died, he let it be known in an interview that he had literally eaten, yes, swallowed, eaten, a spoonful of Vaseline every day for years. Oh. Oh, You make the yuck sound, but he lived to 96.
1: It's valid. Maybe he kind of pickled his insides in a way. Everything was so coated in Vaseline that any of the bad stuff that got in just yeah right out. right through.
4: It was probably really good for his digestive system. <laughs> uh, in any case, yeah, gross, but 96. So it wasn't until after he had long passed that things started to falter a little bit for Chesapeake Ponds, the combined company. In 1984, the earnings declined for the first time in 29 years. I don't really see a major fault in that. I just feel like it's one of those things that happens sometimes with an older company. It was really more of the Ponds brand. If you go back and, and look at the research that didn't stay as current, Vaseline was doing OK as a product line in their combined company. In 1985, they made a big mistake. They bought a company called Stouffer Chemical Company for $1.25 billion. It was an attempt to diversify, but that company, that purchase put them deeply in debt And with the depressed earnings of the company and that amount of debt, it made them a takeover target. And so in December of 1986, the board agreed to be acquired by Unilever for $3.1 billion. So that brings us really up to now. And I got to say, for Robert Chesabrew, all good.
1: Oh, yeah. His entire life was nothing but profit and success for his brand, which is – Got to be crazy knowing that, first off, he lived such a long life and saw the world change so much, yet Vaseline was always current. It was always in everyone's house.
4: And even the dip that they had towards the end there um, that brought us to today and that allowed Unilever to purchase them ultimately was a success for the product and the product line of Vaseline because it lives on to this day. And as we sort of said at the very beginning of the episode, it's such a part of modern pop culture Everybody knows what it is. If you say Vaseline, you get two responses. Either one, a total giggle and snicker. Admit it. But two, you picture the the product in your head. You know exactly what the logo looks like, what the container looks like. You probably know where in your house you have it, and I know you have it. So just stop pretending you don't. And so I think ultimately this is a story of perseverance leading to, like, a forever product.
1: You're right. The The Vaseline tubs are known worldwide, and it, it's so interesting when we started the show. We're talking about how this guy was kind of crazy in a good way, but I, I think it's so, so looked down upon. We see so many people in today's society that have stuck with their idea or whatever they're doing, and it's not quite successful, and everyone's like, you're going to fail. Look at you. Look at what you're doing, and 160, 75 years ago— he did it, and look where it is now, so. Still
4: exists. Perseverance. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before we wrap up totally, I have to share one more Vaseline story. Get your mind out of the gutter. Vaseline is also part of the backstory of another huge brand. I'll give you a clue. A young man created a cosmetic empire by taking his sister Mabel's trick of making her lashes look longer and darker with a mixture of coal dust, or what they called lamp black, Mixing it with Vaseline. Any idea?
3: Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's
4: Maybelline. Yep, Maybelline. Get it, Mabel plus Vaseline equals Maybelline. That's for real, and that's our show for today. Bizography is produced by the iHeart Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dana Barrett. My co host and producer is Nick Beam. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis, and Josh Thane provides audio production. Have questions, want to give us feedback, or have a company you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at show, or contact us on social. I'm at the Dana Barrett on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or just search for me on LinkedIn. Thanks for your support.
0: Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial
4: Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay
0: 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.